My name is Mark Vicente. I'm a director, producer, writer, and troublemaker. I'm not totally certain if the trouble finds me or I find it. I'm most known as the director of the film What the Bleep Do We Know, and as one of the Nixium whistleblowers featured in the HBO series The Vow. Let's just say I know a thing or two about cults. I don't consider myself a cult expert, but I'm definitely an expert in being screwed over, waking up, and knowing how to spot them. And let me tell you, they're everywhere. As you'll hear, I have a pretty salty approach to most things, and I'm utterly fascinated by the patterns in human behavior that create the best and the worst in society. I'm part geek, part rebel, and pissed off about a whole bunch of things. Join me as I unpack a whole range of topics to do with psychology, spirituality, consciousness, morality, cults, narcissistic abuse, science, filmmaking, and philosophy. You never quite know what you're gonna get, as it really does depend on what the fuck is on my mind. Welcome to my debrief of episode four of The Vow Part Two. Ooh boy, where do I start? This one just really, really pissed me off. And I know it's pissed off a lot of other people as well. Um, let me preface this debrief by saying something, framing something. I think people that have conscience, that are well-meaning, that have empathy, look at other people in the world and they see, okay, so they have eyes, they have a nose, like me, I have eyes, they have eyes, they have a mouth, like me, they're a person with, you know, usually four limbs, like me, so they must think like me and they must feel the things that I feel. And we make this mistake, even if we're, we're educated and intellectually we understand, on a visceral level we think that when we look at other people, they're like us. That they have the same uh, emotional bandwidth, they care about the same things, and they feel the same things. And that's just not true. There are a good number of people, um, a scary percentage of people, that are very different, that don't have conscience, that have all kinds of different pathologies. And we, it's confusing because we look at somebody saying the right words and we think, oh yeah, they feel what I feel. Oh my God. And we feel all kinds of compassion that may not be warranted. So yeah, I just wanted to preface that. So launching into this episode, I think there was a question I'm just going to go back to something. In intensives, every time we did an intensive, we had to do an intake form uh, at the beginning and the end. And one of the things in the intake forms were the narcissistic personality disorder um, intake of some, whatever it was called. And one of the questions in there was about, you know, would you want to rule the world versus, versus not? And I remember always saying I would never want to rule the world. That's fucking terrifying. To me the idea that somebody listens to what I say and they live their life accordingly is fucking terrifying. Absolutely fucking terrifying. And there are people that reach out to me and ask me questions and they, they're hanging on my every word sometimes as though the thing I'm going to say 
is is the way is what they need to do in their life and the way they need to see things and that's scary it's scary to think that somebody would live their life based on something i say so i always found it interesting that nancy salzman loved that she loved the idea that something she said somebody would live their life accordingly so there's a very different mindset when looking at her and and i think if you read my letter to the judge at her sentencing you'll see i, I mentioned things like that um just something to think about i know a lot of people are very angry about this episode and i know that a lot of people that have been victimized by her, by Ranieri, by that system, by that criminal enterprise, are very upset today. Um, and I get it. I really understand. And I want you guys to know, even though some of us don't talk, I hear you and I'm with you. I am with you. Let's get into this ethical breach thing. An ethical breach, well, the concept that we were taught is, is such a perversion of something very, very deep. You know, we were led to believe that, you know, we had this essence and that, that we had to connect to this true essence of ourself. And that was our greatest, greatest aspirations, you know, our noblest values, our, 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 our soul, so to speak. You know, what did our soul, what was our soul's yearning? And all the obstacles that ESP Nixon was going to help you with was to help you remove the obstacles so that you could match your values as best as possible. An ethical breach, they said, was when you go against your own ethics, your own morality, your deeper sense of self. And what was so fucked? I mean, you hear Ranieri saying, Repairing an ethical breach is the way we create conscience. What a fucking liar. What was so horrible is that we were led to believe that we were reaching for our own greatness and we were reaching into hell instead. We weren't reaching up, we were reaching down. Those of you who've heard me talk about this before know I use the Stranger Things um, metaphor that when I woke up in 2017, I woke up in the upside down thinking that that had always been right way up. And I realized it's not right way up. I, I thought I was reaching up. I've been reaching down to my own demise. That's what they did with, with this ethical breach concept is they... they fucked with you so bad that they they destroyed you you thought you were reaching for your own i guess union with your own soul so to speak they never said this this is just how i'm interpreting it but you weren't you were reaching for your own destruction when nancy salzman says you know can you ever ever repair an ethical breach no no nancy you you can't not in that system not in his empire because an ethical breach was not actually anything to do with ourselves. It was basically just what he wanted. And I liken it to religion. You know, if somebody, you know, if, if, if I'm some kind of, you know, fucked up priest and I, somebody doesn't do what I want, I just call them, you know, a witch and have them burnt. You know, I just say that they're in league with Lucifer, you know, in league with Satan. It's the same shit. If Ranieri didn't get his way, the person that committed a sin. And this is the thing people don't seem to understand that are still loyal to him. 
they're defending a horrible religion. They, they, an ethical breach is equivalent to a sin. And maybe that's why some of them are so stuck still. Because they think that if they stop, if they give up, if they reverse course, then they will have sinned. It will be an ethical breach that will destroy themselves, destroy the Lord and Master, the Vanguard, and destroy civilization. That is how fucked up the situation is. They might be terrified of sinning. Now they would say that's ridiculous, Mark, and what you're talking about. Talking out of your ass. Well, my ass might say some good things now and again. When Lauren is talking to um, Sarah in that recording, and she says, you know, if I, if I was doing something bad, then I'm very confused. If it's, Maybe it's not what I think. You know, that whole conversation. Man, she was so close to it. See, Lauren, Lauren was and is an extraordinarily intelligent woman. Um, but there's this trick, you see. When I came in in 2004 for the first time and I met Lauren, she had told me that, I think the year prior maybe, she had gone to a cult conference with a few people. So they were studying cults. They were studying what the anti-cult people were saying. Understand, we were studying the work of Robert J. Lifton. We were studying psychopathy inside Nixon. We were studying all the shit we were trapped in. That's the, that's the fucked up trick to all this. But just because you're studying that stuff and you're smart doesn't mean you can see the coercive trap you're in. And that was the case with Lauren. I mean, met, many intelligent people can't see it. And she would say things that were very logical, but she couldn't actually see what was going on. Lauren was my coach, by the way. I don't know if many people know that. Lauren was my coach for many, many, many years. And one of my first, very first conversations with Lauren that led me to think, wow, this, she's, a, she's a smart one, was in my first intensive, uh, I guess I had the opportunity to go to volleyball. I didn't know what the big deal was, you know, but they said, oh, we can go to volleyball, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know what, I'm going to bed. I'm tired. And the next morning when I came to class, Lauren said to me, I don't understand why you weren't in volleyball. And I go, because I was tired. She goes, okay, you said that you would do anything to learn the tools that would help you um, become a great human being and a greater artist, right? And I go, yes. Okay. So here you are with an opportunity with somebody who's created those tools, but you couldn't be bothered to meet him. And you're with somebody who is one of the smartest men in the world, and instead you go to sleep. And I was like, you know what? That's actually a good point. And I was, I was marveling at that moment at like how smart she was, like how she had really outlogic me. And of course, you know, I decided, okay, well then I, I better go to volleyball. Um, that's the kind of shit that, that, that went on. Look, in retrospect, it's fucking dumbish, you know, dumb shit that I believed that, but I did. At the time, I did believe it. When I found out that Lauren had had a sexual relationship with Keith since two, from 2001 to 2008. I was, I was horrified and I was ragefully angry. And that I only actually found out uh, during the trial. I, I knew a lot of the structure of things. In, I, learned, I learned about the structure of things in 2017, 2018. But a lot of the details I didn't know and we didn't know. And we were comparing notes, all of us. But when I found that out, I was like, 
Fuck. Fuck. I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known when I went in that she'd already been having a relationship for that long. I wish I'd known that he was not a fucking renunciate, like they all said. You know, not attached to worldly shit because he was very attached. And I wish I'd known that there were so many people that he was having a relationship with him. With, you know, I, I, when I went in, I mean, she'd been having a relationship with him for three or four years. And just so you know, all of my fights with a lot of the women that were in love with him or in a relationship with him or being coerced by him were all about me not giving him, uh, you know, honor, appropriate tribute. They would just head fuck me constantly about why I'm not making him this, the central theme or core of everything I'm doing creatively. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And later I realized because they were so in love with him, it was sort of the fight to the death intellectually. Many, many of them, many of them just would go after me. You know, I just took a quick break because I thought my blood sugar was going down. And I was checking in with myself and I realized, no, I was going to places in my past and I suddenly drew a blank. I, I think I sort of hit this, uh, I don't know, this trauma abyss for a moment. And I couldn't think. Utterly bizarre. Happened in court as well. Um, on the stand a few times. <sighs> All right, so to go back to being punished by people. So, you know, uh, an example. Um, Nikki Klein was the, the editor of the newsletter, the Nixon monthly newsletter. And the executive board was always asked to write a piece. And if my piece that I wrote did not include uh, Ranieri um, in some way and how he'd changed or affected my life for the better, like I, I wrote a piece once that was just about, you know, my creative endeavors and stuff like that. And she was so angry at me. She was so upset. She was like the ethics police. Yes, Nixium had ethics police as well. They just weren't called that, but that's what they were. And she was pissed at me. And she was like, well, you need to change it. And I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote until I finally realized, oh, all the other executive board members have figured this out. They're just blowing smoke up his ass, Ranieri's ass constantly in their writing, and it's getting approved every time. So that was a that was a horrible recognition. But yeah, that was the kind of shit that happened. When Nancy says that she wasn't aware of Lauren and Keith's relationship for about five years, I think that's true. Um, things were so compartmentalized. ESP really did run like the NSA or the CIA. There were layers upon layers of information, and you did not have access to everything. Um, in fact, I, I know that Nancy was kept uh, out of certain things. Um, Lauren and Claire, for instance, wanted to keep her out of certain, you know, silos of information. I never understood why. I did ask at one point, and I said, you know, why wouldn't you include Nancy? And, she, and they would say, well, she's very disruptive. She's very impulsive. You know, and the truth is Nancy was kind of crazy at some of these meetings. Now, look, if I was... Uh, in a coercive situation like she was in with Ranieri for that long, I think it'd also be fucked up like that. Not making excuses, but yeah, a lot of compartmentalization happened.
when I hear all the reasons that Ranieri gives Lauren for why she's not ready to have children, you know, related to her weight and her state and all these things, it makes me so fucking angry. You know, Lauren's, I guess Lauren's emotional state wasn't great because she'd been so head fucked for so long. She was constantly ill. And those of you that have read my letters inside, the whole thing, parts one through four, know I make mention of that. She wasn't doing well. She hadn't been doing well for years. Of course she was fucked up. Of course her state wasn't good. Um, but it makes me so angry because that's what he was doing to all these women who wanted, who wanted children and, and believed that he would be the, the perfect father. I just, I guess the only thing I think now is think whatever the fuck is out there that she did not have a child with him because that would have fucked her life up even further being entangled with him. You know, there are three other children of his out in the world. And I think it's a, as much as I, I'm sure all the mothers love their children, uh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing, I think. Um, it's a hard thing. But thank goodness Lauren did not. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that that did not happen. When Ranieri says that Lauren disrespected him by jumping on another guy at volleyball, it just makes me think about what a, what a shallow little fucking ego this guy has. Fucking midget. And that became her ethical breach. And listen, there were, there were a whole bunch of things like this. There was another person, I'm not going to mention his name, but who began a, a, a relationship with somebody that Ranieri had his eye on. And um, Ranieri basically said this guy had an ethical breach. And for the entire time that I was in ESP, um, this guy was always given shit because of this ethical breach that I didn't know what it was. And I would ask, I even asked Ranieri, what is his ethical breach? And he goes, well, you know, that's, that's, that's for me to know kind of shit, you know, but basically, as I said before, ethical breaches were basically, if he had a bad reaction to something, he didn't have the fucking courage or actually the, the brain capacity to admit it. So he would turn it into some, some weird reason. Some cult leaders have mystical reasons. Um, his was a mystical reason wrapped in pop psychology. And just to, you know, go back to ethical breaches, like, the, the, an ethical breach write-up, which is what you hear Lauren reading in court, uh, everybody who was a proctor and above had to figure out what their ethical breach was and do an ethical breach write-up of how to fix it and then try to fix it. My ethical breach write-up took so fucking long to write because it just got rejected again and again and again and again. And it was sort of like the situation with the Nixium newsletter because I didn't know what exactly I should do to get it passed, and other people did. And 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 somebody who was a complete fuck knuckle got his passed the first time, and I was like, I don't get it. That is not deep at all. He's not digging in at all. And I was digging in and digging in and digging in. But I think that what I hadn't done is I hadn't appropriately talked about what a piece of shit I was and how I was making Keith Ranieri's life difficult. I think I hadn't done that. And I think that was the reason it kept on getting sent back. It is, 
as I said before, this is, this is weaponized religion. You know, all of us were constantly on the verge of sinning and those that had were fucked. He just didn't call it a sin. All of these things that he created were, were ways to try to control and contain everything. Um, I've said this before. It, it, I figured out at a certain point that the education was everything he had done to himself in order to control his appetites. See, if you're not entirely human and you need to appear human, you need to figure out, well, what do I need to do to appear human? And so he, I think, developed a system of self-punishment to contain himself. And then he got lazier and lazier. And I think then what he thought is, well, he'll teach us what he learned. But, you know, if you have an empath teaching you how to become better, that's one thing. If you have somebody who has some kind of, you know, psychopathy teach you their method, that's going to go very, very badly because what you're going to do is create psychopaths. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a longer discussion, but, but he was teaching what he had learned and how he had contained himself for that long. Lauren describes how Ranieri said that he was considering resigning as Vanguard and that was a huge deal to Lauren. This is what cult leaders do, by the way, when they have a tantrum. They suddenly pull this kind of shit. And she couldn't make sense of it. And this was the thing I was trying to say to, to Lauren in my letter to the inside. You know, you can't make sense of anything unless you figure out who you're dealing with and, and, and what the pathology actually is. Once you figure that out, it's, it's all easy to understand. But that's a tantrum. And that's the thing that I finally realized in 2017 is that, that he was having tantrums constant tantrums but they were never showing up as tantrums they were showing up as this long convoluted intellectual word salad of bullshit to get a person under control for the reaction that he had and the thing that's so sad is that when lauren says if i could prove to myself that i was good i could prove to him i was a good person um, and I wanted to prove to myself that I was a good, good person, so I stayed. It's just, it, it just enrages me. It enrages me. And, and, and anybody who, who, who's listening to me right now who has a conscience, I mean, I, I know you feel equally fucking angry. This terrible, terrible head fucking, you know, where you hijack somebody's goodness. You hijack their sense of self. And then you try and sell it back to them. And the cost is that they have to do everything you want. That is some really, really fucked up shit. When Nancy Salzman says uh, that, you know, the woman in their 20s and 30s that, who spent time with Keith and they were promised things that, um, and they never had an experience of the real world, that is exactly true. Um, many of them lost their childbearing years. But the thing is, he kept them all like little children. Um, you heard at one point, Lauren talks about her upset at Mariana having the baby. So Mariana and Pam were around Keith Raniere all the time. And they were like little children. They were, they were women, grown women, but they were like little children. And, and many of the people, I mean, cults in general uh, arrest your fucking development. But I do find that the women around him 
were kept like little children. And also the diet he had them on um, gave them sort of these androgynous prepubescent bodies. He, I think he wanted prepubescent bodies. So he was doing things to their mind to arrest them. And then he was also arrest, meaning development, and then also um, forcing them to eat certain things that would um, keep them looking like children. You know, very androgynous, not looking like women. I'm just going back for a second to... Uh, and then the moment when, when Vero says you don't play with someone's motherhood, you don't do that. Um, that's true. And, and, you know, when you hear Vero, that's a person with conscience saying that. Um, but none of us were dealing with a person who had conscience. That's what's so... Um, I don't know how else to put it. Just fucked up. It's, it's, it makes me sad and it makes me angry. There's, I don't have the words for, for the feeling I have about all of that and the damage he's done to people. And then when, when Vero has to give this, this confession in front of the whole room, um, you got pushed by everybody. You got pushed. And in her case, she got pushed by the wolf pack. The wolf pack was a name that um, somebody came up with. I think it may have been Tony Natalia. I'm not sure. For all the women around Ranieri that were his flying monkeys, that, that enforced his will on people. But she was forced to apologize. And, to, and, and in essence, you know, this forced confession, you have to find the badness inside yourself. Because you're told you did something really bad. And now you're, you're a good student. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and figure it out. So now you have to find this badness inside yourself. And then you have to confess the badness in front of the whole room and the whole world. Because that room is the world. And it's a deeply humiliating thing. And I want you to know that, the, 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 that Vero, in essence, was forced to do that. The actual Vero that I know um, is, is, she's so magnificent. She was constantly causing trouble in the system because she was asking really good questions. And she was defiant because there was so much bullshit going on, you know, and for a long time, they hadn't broken her, and she was just constantly pointing issues out. And this was their way to try to finally silence her. And by the way, Nancy Salzman went after her so many times. I mean, it was the, the, the level of, of, of verbal violence that occurred against Vera was fucking breathtaking, where the entire room of like 100 people just stood there going, what the fuck is going on? And Nancy would go on about Vera being, you know, so entitled and so this and being a princess and all that shit. And it was like, it was vile. It was really violent. You know, and Vera would just take it. Um, but look at her now. Look at her now. Yes, mi Vero, look at you now. There's this moment where Neri's spouting this word salad. You know, in essence, what he's saying is, if something bothers you, it's, it's, it's a problem that it bothers you. And the only way to be free is if it doesn't bother you. You have to let it not bother you. And what he's talking about in that moment is... Me sleeping with everybody else. Uh, if you have a bad reaction to that, that's, that's a problem, that you're having a bad reaction to that. You're not free. In order to be free, you have to not have a problem with that. How convenient. And, and of course it bothered the women that he was doing that. And he would say things like, you have an attachment. You shouldn't care. I'm doing this for you. I want to explain attachment because I think a lot of people that have had a lot of spiritual experience maybe understand it very well. But... Let me back up. There's a story that Ranieri told about when he was 13. He, 
he wanted a toy and he saved up for a toy for a long time. And then eventually when he was 13, I think his mother took him to a store, to a toy store. And so he's walking through the store. This is his story. He's walking through the store. He's looking at all the toys, thinking about it. And he comes back to her and he says, I don't want anything. And she says, why not? And he says, because I realize none of those toys will actually bring me joy. And so his whole understanding was that he realized that true joy didn't come from the external world. Happiness, momentary happiness came from the external world, but true joy didn't come from there. And so he recognized that the issue, the reason people are unhappy is because they're attached to things externally that they think will make them happy. Now, is that true that your reliance on some external event to be happy is, is, is limiting. Yeah, it is. Um, and again, there are so many good and true principles in all of these teachings in, in all cults, but it's what gets done with it. You know, if, if you're the kind of person that you need a specific kind of, you know, person to be in a relationship with, that has to look a certain way, that has to speak a certain way, that has to be this, has to be that, and you cannot be happy until you are with that person, that's pretty fucked up. You're never going to be happy. That's not real happiness. And he would talk to us about, and by the way, none of these ideas that, that I'm sharing that he, that he shared are new. They're very, very ancient ideas. You know, that your true sense of self resides within you, but we get confused and we think it now resides in somebody else. Even though intellectually you know it doesn't, it feels like that other person has the key to my happiness. So the curriculum was designed to help you break attachments because the things you were attached to prevented you from being happy. Whether you were, you know, whether you got the thing or not, like not having the thing makes you upset because you're attached and having the thing suddenly you feel like oh my god my life's better forever and it's not better forever because like the next day you know you're just you again is also a problem but attachments with a problem now ancient ancient teachings so what he did with this is he said anytime somebody had an issue with what he was doing he would say it's because of your attachment if you weren't attached it wouldn't it wouldn't bother you now I mean, I can look back at some ancient teachings and go, yeah, I guess I could see that. But what he was doing literally was to shield himself, to build a fortress around his behavior, to allow him to do absolutely anything he wanted. Because if anybody complained, he had a rationalization for why that complaint was a problem. You know, complete and utter fucking codified gaslighting. You know, and the, and, the, and the fucked up thing was when he says, you know, you have an attachment, you shouldn't care. I'm doing this to bring up your attachment. You know, I'm fucking so-and-so because I want to bring up your attachment so you can work the issue. Wow, that's really convenient. When Nancy talks about the idea that Ranieri maybe created DOS to make sure that um, the women would never leave, it's true. What eventually happened, I think, is because Ranieri has major abandonment issues. And when people would leave, he would try to litigate them into, dis into destruction. That's one thing he would try and do. But I think that he had such an obsession with being abandoned that he had to create a structure that would make sure he would never be abandoned. The entire thing was designed to keep people there because of his fucked up psychological issues. Um, his vulnerability was why 
DOS and all these things were created. There was, look, there was this constant, every time anybody went away, like when I went away, Nancy was always like, oh, well, how long are you going for? And I'd come back, she goes, welcome home. And I'd be like, I don't feel like this is home. You know, but this obsession constantly with like, come home, come home, come home. And like, we're family, we're family. You know, it's, it's the usual cult things. But it escalated with, um, you know, ethicist and, 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 you know, collateral and more discussions about breaches. And then DOS was the perfect system to prevent him being left. And, and that's what I believe we're dealing with is, is huge abandonment issues. You know, Ranieri may not have a lot of emotions, but that emotion, the fear of abandonment, he definitely does have. And again, the, these people that are still loyal to him, he needs that. He needs fuel. And they are just fuel. To him, they are the equivalent of gasoline. I know they think he loves them. He does not. When... Lauren talks about Mariana being the, the, the moment where she has the meltdown because Mariana is going to have the baby. And you have to understand, man, it was so fucked up. I remember Ranieri and I were taking a walk. And this is when I was getting very suspicious of a lot of things. And he tells me that um, she's pregnant. And it sort of occurs to me, based on the consummation of that pregnancy, that it happened while Pam Kafritz was dying. And I was thinking to myself, now, when he said it, I, pa- I, I paused for a moment. And I thought, is he testing me? And so I just said, oh, congratulations. But inside, I was fucking horrified. I was disgusted. Like, who does that? This person you care about, but you're fucking? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it happens and, and maybe, you know, there's grief fucking. I don't know. But like, I was just, I was blown away. And that was the moment that Lauren had a complete meltdown when she found that out. And I do think that was the beginning of the end for her. And understand, this is probably what was also so hard. Lauren worked very, very hard to to get to her position, you know, head of education. She was constantly redesigning things. And, you know, Mariana was, I had a conversation with Mariana once because I assumed Mariana also worked very, very hard. She says, oh, no, I don't work hard at all. I go, you don't? She goes, no, I sleep about 12 hours a day. I'm like, what? And I never understood this entire system of ranking was based on your ability to, to, to produce and to work. And that's how you advanced in the rank. And yet, for some reason, in the case of, of, of Mariana, um, that wasn't the case. She did not work at all. She was very, very lazy. And the one thing she had going for her is that she was incredibly skinny, which apparently now I understand that was the value to him. So imagine Lauren... Um, losing out on having a child to this person who's one of the laziest people she'd ever met in her life, um, that must have really hurt. But again, thank goodness she did not have that child. Thank goodness. When I'm watching Ranieri talk about, you know, fighting for love and fighting your body and, you know, it, it reminds me of politicians that I see standing up who grandstand about noble, wonderful ideas. And, and I know they're a piece of shit. And it bothers me that people can't see it. And I, I would love you to take this away from this conversation. If you watch Ranieri, 
you know he's full of shit, but he's saying really good, profound, beautiful sounding things. Most politicians, I think, might be like that. They've learned how to say the right stuff, but that's not who they are. I want to, you know, along those lines, I want to read you the entire statement that Ranieri made, the, the message from Ranieri that he made to the press. So, so you know what he was actually doing, right? I mean, you know from this episode and, 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 and the past ones, and you'll see from the future ones, that the shit he was actually doing was so vile. But now listen to this. This is what he actually says publicly. He says, Dear members, I am deeply saddened by the recent news published about our organization, a number of key people, and friends from the past. The way in which the media represents us does not coincide with what I know of our community and our friends, nor with my experience of myself. However, as an organization and as individuals, we felt it was imperative that we hire experts to make sure these allegations were unfounded. Over the past few months, highly qualified individuals have conducted extensive independent investigations and have firmly concluded that accusations of abuse, coercion, or harm to individuals are completely unfounded. That's because you paid the motherfucker. That was, that was me saying that. These accusations are most disturbing to me because nonviolence is one of my core values. Let me read that fucking sentence again. These accusations are most disturbing to me because nonviolence is one of my core values. Additionally, I feel it is important to clarify that the group of women is not part of Nexium and that I am not associated with it. I strongly support the right to free expression of people, so what this group of women or any other social group chooses to do is not our business as long as there is no abuse. Our experts, a forensic psychiatrist of international reputation that we paid in brackets, psychologists that we paid, and former police investigators that we paid, tell us that the participants of this group are very well, in good health, happy, thriving, and have not experienced coercion. What's more, the participants of the women's group are proud of what they've created and want to share their story. Surely, they will be addressing you very soon. Today marks our first step forward. No matter how much we are part of the problem, it is our humble hope that we will be much more part of the solution. From now on, we will communicate better and we will report better. Sincerely, Keith Ranieri. Now, you want to compare that with what he was actually doing. And this is the thing that I want people to understand. Just because somebody uses the right words and acts humble, you got to look beneath that. And this is the problem, I think, also when I look at politicians. They're saying so much stuff that appeals to people, but that may not be who they are. So it's a valuable lesson to all of us. When you see Nippy and Sarah's reaction to learning about everything that was going on with Lauren, um, that disbelief, that, that, exact, that is exactly what we were all feeling. I mean, we were in communication, you know, via phone, FaceTime a lot um, during the trial. And man, it was, it was just horrifying to, to, to hear some of the details because Lauren was a, was, was a mystery. I knew about some of the other woman what they'd been through but Lauren was a was a mystery and it was it was really upsetting to find out what she'd actually been through 
Um, because as I said, the details, we did not know the details. And it was vile. And then when Nippy says, uh, a lot of people are hurt because of one man, and that just justice has to happen, but people are hurt. You know, so true. Um, and this is the thing I was always trying to explain to people that were upset about the way we went about things is it's not, we did not cause the pain. We exposed the pain. We exposed the abuse. It was already there. And that's the thing they're struggling with so much. And the reason they want to blame us is that we caused the abuse. The abuse was underground and undercover. We just helped bring it to the surface. And, and then it got very ugly. And I think some of them maybe struggled to, to take in that he was the architect of all of that. We were not the architects of these things. We were maybe the architects of exposing it. But that's all we did. We exposed what was already there. And, you know, I was just thinking again about Lauren having to stand up in front of everybody and, and being required to lie. So sad. I mean, just... I know I keep saying that I, that I feel so much sadness, you know, during these debriefs. I don't know what other word to use. There, it's more than sadness. It's a, it's a level of devastation that I feel um, heartbroken, maybe. I don't have the appropriate words. I don't know how to say it. It's a, tra it's tragic. And I see, you know, with, with Lauren, it, this, it's a tragedy. It's a fucking tragedy what this man has done. And it, yes, it makes a lot of us very angry to see him being defended by people that just do not see a problem anywhere. I think their souls have been excavated because it's fucking tragic. Uh, when you hear about Ranieri talking about changing the presidential election, changing votes in the election, if you listen to uh, one of my prior episodes, prior debriefs, I talk about the, the secret society Faust that he had been thinking up as early as, you know, maybe 2006, 2007, you know, which was basically a, a group of women that were going to be weaponized to compromise men, um, to blackmail them, to, to make them do certain things. And he was trying to figure out how to influence politics at that scale. He just wanted to go the honey trap route. And so for those of you who don't know that what, what the honey trap is, um, I'm going to just read you something I saw from Wikipedia. Honey trapping is an investigative practice involving the use of romantic or sexual relationships for interpersonal, political, including state espionage or monetary purpose. The honeypot or trap involves making contact with an individual who has information or resources required by a group or individual. The trapper will then seek to entice the target into a false relationship, which may or may not include actual physical involvement in which they can glean information or have influence over the target. And just so you know, like honey trapping has a long history of use in espionage. You know, it was used during the Cold War. Um, 
female agents were called, uh, what was it, Mosno girls, Mosnos, the Russian KGB used used uh, women in this way to spy on, on foreign officials by seducing them. Um, and understand, one of the DOS slaves was sent on a mission like this to seduce somebody. And I found that out. Um, well, I found out that, that she was on a mission in, I think, August 2016. And then later on, um, in, in April 2017, I found out what the mission was, which was to seduce somebody. And I was like, motherfucker. And by the way, it was to seduce one of Ranieri's enemies. So I thought that was very interesting. And one of the things that, that, you know, that I was concerned about is, you know, if, if a DOS slave had collateral over her head, she could do anything. She could say that, you know, she'd been attacked or raped by somebody and she would have to go with that. And, and it was a very easy way to destroy people. So the whole, the whole DOS thing is far more fucked up than people realize. This is not a, just a sorority. Uh, this was, was, was a, a weaponized system that he had big plans for. The other thing I was thinking about, you know, when Mario Penza is talking about the branding, you know, um, you know, branding is what you do to, to prostitutes. You know, it's, it's what a pimp does to prostitutes, to, to brand them, to own them. Um, this is just not some innocent tattoo. There's a lot more meaning to it. I think there's going to be so many discussions about consent during this episode, and I think those are good and important discussions. Um, and people have been asking me about Nikki Klein. Look, I, I think you can see. I just, I mean, I just shake my head in, 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 in disbelief. I think, I think you can see, I think it's pretty clear. Um, you know, when I was, I was thinking about that fucking recommitment ceremony in, in Mexico, this, you know, this group sex group blowjob thing. And then when, when Lauren has a problem with it, that Ranieri says, you know, you have control issues and that the way to fix a control issue is to uh, surrender to a group blowjob. He is so fucking twisted. Understand, there was one particular DOS slave who had um, sexual abuse in her past, a good amount of it. And the reasoning of why um, she had to sleep with him, it was so to, to heal the sexual abuse. So basically, the idea was, uh, let me coercively rape you, and I'm going to heal you of the abuse of your past. And by the way, this is Cult Leader 101. The cult leaders that are sleeping around and sleeping with their people, this is the kind of shit they do. It's, it's playbook. One of the moments that Lauren has is, is the moment where, when she's defending him against the, the police and he jumps into the closet. And it's so important because I began to suspect bit by bit in 2017 that Ranieri may be maybe much weaker than I thought. When he ran to Mexico, and I knew he was running, is when I realized, oh my God, you are a fucking coward. But when I heard the story, because I heard the story of what had actually happened during the arrest in, back in 2018, um, of how he cowered and he was pathetic, I was like, motherfucker, that's who you really are. And so, you know, when, when Lauren reads... Uh, is speaking in the court and, and she says that, you know, after she, she called his name out, she felt bad for months and months that she wasn't strong enough. Um, and I, I felt so sad 
because that's a lie that she wasn't strong enough. Um, honestly, for, for Lauren to go in the stand and to say all the things she did, that's strength. That is major strength. And understand what is not in this episode is the way the defense tried to break her down and the, the judge had to actually stop the cross-examination because um, Agnifilo was actually destroying her. She was, she was actually having a mental breakdown and he just kept on going for it. And then he was very upset that he didn't have the opportunity to continue. And I think the judge made the right call. Of course, they're very upset about that call. But in the end, Lauren is strong enough and he never was. He never was. And when the when she was being examined by the prosecution and they asked her, were you surprised that the defendant went into a closet when Mexican law enforcement arrived and she says, I was surprised. Um, you know, she said something like, everything I was teaching in Nixium all centered around the idea that we could live this principled life. It never crossed my mind, she says, that if Keith and I were in a situation, he wouldn't choose the exact same thing. It never occurred to me that I would choose Keith and Keith would choose Keith. Such powerful words. Because that's the, the, the Wizard of Oz moment, you know, when the curtain gets pulled back and you see who's really behind the curtain. A pathetic little piece of shit. That's the, you see, the, 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 the reason it was never so clear is he never left Albany. Uh, the only two times he left was was once to go to India when I was with him, and then when he ran to Mexico, he was always in a bubble, never being tested. And here, with Mexican law enforcement with automatic weapons, for the first time, you know, all of us get to see him tested, and he fucking fails. After giving us shit for so long about how weak we are, fuck him. You know, I feel, I do feel bad for Lauren in many, many ways. But I also recognized as, as fucked up as she is to, to this day, I'm sure. Um, she's free of him now. She is free. She can try to now live a life of her own. And I know that the healing will take a long time. I know it will. But she's free. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is when Michelle says, you know, what the fuck was going on? Um, that's how I felt in 2017. I was like, what the fuck has been going on? And the other thing that she said that I think is important when she says, you know, I, I, he must know better. He must know what he's doing. That is what uh, I felt for a long time. Many of us felt when I, when all the questions began, especially in 2016, I was like, what is going on? I mean, he must know better. He must know better. I hadn't yet taken him off the pedestal. And I think the most important thing that needs to happen with anybody who's, who's coming out of a cult is if you can take the fucking leader off the pedestal, everything will make sense. But as long as that leader is on the pedestal, it's very, very confusing. When Nancy says towards the end of the episode, um, he really enjoyed hurting us. I was like, yeah, bingo, Nancy. Bingo. That is exactly right. He really did. Now, look, I, I really do appreciate um, people's upset about Nancy Salzman in this episode. I have a lot of my own thoughts. They're not good. 
Um, I think, as I've said before, you know, I, I feel like I'm watching a performance because that's what I watched for 12 years. It's the same performance. It's not different. It's the same performance. Um, there is a, a, a level of, of uh, some kind of delusion that is, is, is fucking breathtaking. Anyway, that is uh, some of my thoughts on, on episode four. I'm sure there will be more thoughts and I'll, I'll do them in the next, the next debriefs. One thing I do want to say before we close out, if you listen to the song at the very end of the episode, of episode four, that is my amazing warrior wife, Bonnie, who, who sang and composed and created that song. Um, it's called Unraveling. And what I think I'm going to do this time um, is play that song out for you guys to listen to and pay particular notice to the lyrics. They are fucking profound. Um, amazing, amazing piece of, of, of music and creation that she did. She is very soulful, as you all well know. This is Unraveling by Bonnie Peace, produced by Bonnie Peace and Eric Morgan. As per her words, this is dedicated to all the victims of this criminal enterprise. Everything, everything is wrong. There's nothing left of how we knew it. Breaking down all the crooked lines. Unraveling Everything, everything is gone There's no way back, you can't erase it Memories are falling to the ground Spiraling It's who 